Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with over 19 years experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm Dave Ramsey's preferred local provider. Also have an MBA in finance and been helping corporations and individuals for uh, with planning for about 20 years now. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. You can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right-hand corner so you can uh, stream us. Um, obviously, you can catch us on 1230 a.m. on the dial. You can also go to our uh, podcast. Steve, we have that set up now. It's uh, moneymd.podbean.com. So if you miss a show, um, you want to go check it out. We have them kind of categorized over to the side, retirement right. planning and, and budgeting and so forth. So you can go and click on one of those and go find the shows that talk about that specific topic. So Yeah, and we're also adding a link to our, our website, moneymd.net, yep. where you can just click on the link and go straight to our podcast, and all the old shows will be right there. That's right. Like John said. Yep. So another way to listen to us is on your smartphone. You can download the TuneIn Radio app, or you can go to iTalkUS and uh, download their app, and you can listen to us anytime, any place. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a great way to listen. Yeah, a lot, a lot of ways to catch the money doctors. There is, no doubt. And um, let's see, uh, John, we're going to talk about football a little bit here. Yes, we have football. Reluctantly. <laughs> yes. You know, big game tonight for the Titans. Yeah, the, the, we got the big game tonight. Uh, I think we got nothing to lose. So, you know, Dabo, if you're out there listening, just pull out all stops, baby. Just just go for it. From, from down one, just go for you it. You're going to need to do some Hail Marys there. <laughs> unlike unlike Carolina and, and the Bulldogs, I have to talk a little bit about that. I mean, that's true. Well, know. back to Clemson. We're playing Florida State. Florida State, that's right. 8 o'clock tonight. At at, at, uh, at down at, there in Jacksonville, so yeah, and uh, at Tallahassee. Yeah. Tallahassee, I'm sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah, Florida, you know, down and, there. And Carolina plays uh, at Vanderbilt, and uh, Georgia gotcha. Tech plays at Virginia Tech. So a lot of great football games, but we have to talk about the the Georgia Carolina game. I mean, come <laughs> on, you guys gave me no shot. Yeah, I called the win, twenty three twenty one. I had two point win. We actually got a three point win. Yeah, so. I know it is shocking. I mean, it's almost like you went down there, John, and you just like threw the game somehow. I mean, did you buy off on the player? How about the? It must have been the Georgia kicker. How much did you no, have to pay him? The refs. I, we paid the refs. I don't know. I mean, the Georgia <laughs> kicker. I mean, he just gave it to you like on a silver platter. He gave Carolina the win. I mean, it's just hey, we'll take it any way we can get it. Georgia has owned us, you know, forever. Uh, their right. record is it's at like forty-seven and eighteen or something. Well, so they, they owned when us we this win, year. we have to uh, we have to enjoy it. Well, I feel bad for that kicker. You know, uh, unfortunately, yeah. that's, that's the game. Yeah, yeah. All right, good, good topic. Well, it'll be exciting night of football. We'll see what happens. Um, okay, and that leads us up here to our uh, preview of our show. And you know, the first thing we're talking about, John, is there are five things keeping America from Americans from financial freedom. Mm-hmm. Five major things here. We're going to talk about them. I mean, there are things that if you can get these under control, 
it will change your financial life. Yeah, it's good. These are fantastic areas, and we see this when we sit down with people, uh, clients sometimes, also uh, when we do counseling sessions and so forth. So good uh, good information there. We're going to follow that up, Steve. You know, the yields on cash is extremely low, um, bond yields as well. So people are searching for yields they're they're trying yeah. to trying to find a higher rate of return on bonds and fixed income fixed yeah. income and it's it's hard to get it and there's one place that a lot of people are looking at it's called high yield bonds and we're going to talk about that there's some there's some risk involved in that that most people don't realize so we're going to jump into that topic a little bit and um, try to give you some education on that That's and, and then we're going to close up with uh, an article about uh, America's middle class it says yeah, the article's talking about it's poorer than you think i mean when you look at the stats you think about you know the U.S. being a wealthy country, and we are by all means and all standards. Right. Um, but there's a large segment of the of the uh, United States which is you know talked about as the middle class, and they're they're struggling. Yeah, we don't outpace. You know, the median American doesn't outpace the Europeans yeah. as much as we think we do. But having said that, I mean, I think there's a couple of different ways of looking at the data. So sure. we'll, we'll talk through that. Yeah, That's we'll a dive good, into it. Good topic. All right, and that leads us up here to our financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the uh, Energy Information Administration and uh, talks about oil usage. And, and I think most people could probably guess that the top two oil consumers in the world are the United States as well as China. I mean, those two are, sure. are pretty evident, United States being in the number one position, but China catching up rapidly. But the interesting fact here is that um, those top two consumers – um, use more oil than the next 10 countries combined. Wow. That's a lot. I mean, if you think about it. a big it, gap. Next 10 countries, probably India's in there, um, probably uh, China, I mean, Brazil. Europe, Europe, <clears throat> Europe you know. Yeah. I mean, China is the one of the top two. But you're talking about Europe. I yeah. mean, all those countries in Europe, yeah, I mean, there's some, and there's some pretty big countries there's, in there. You know, it's Russia. I mean, yep. you know, big countries we're using. Uh, yeah, more than all 10 of them combined between us and China. But what that tells me, Steve, is that there's a lot of growth potential out there. I mean, there's some emerging countries out there that aren't using much oil today that eventually will. And um, so, and that's a good thing? Yeah, I think so. I think <laughs> yeah, from a growth standpoint. It is. Just, from an energy standpoint. I'm just talking from an environmental standpoint. From an but, energy standpoint, it's going to put stress and, and pressure on, on oil which ha- you know means we have to get creative, right? Well, and there's no doubt. I mean, we've had an energy boom here in the U.S. Absolutely, and we are now a net energy exporter just here in the last few years, and that that has changed our economy quite a bit. I mean, it's a huge mm-hmm. driving force to a resurgence in manufacturing here in the U.S. So there is a silver lining in these numbers. Sure, yeah, very so positive. That's, that's very interesting. All right, good topic and good fact of the week, and that leads us up here though to our first topic, and that is the five things. Keeping America from Americans from financial freedom, um, you know, John. As our men and women continue to fight around the world to protect our freedom from terrorism and all the other threats that are out there, I think it serves as a reminder of how we have to stay vigilant to preserve our financial freedoms um, in life. Because you know, deeply nestled in our everyday finances is the reality that financial freedom is an ongoing struggle. Yes, it is. You know, you can you can be trapped in your finances very, very easily. The average American household carries a debt of over two hundred thousand dollars. Wow. That's a lot. I mean, for financial baggage such as mortgage, credit card balances, student loan debt. And this is according to a study that was just released this year. And what's even more uh disconcerting than that is that this figure doesn't even include auto loans, personal loans, 
that further weigh down our families. So there's a lot of debt out there that is that people are buried under and struggling with. Yeah, that's why uh, Dave Ramsey's so successful, right? He um, he, is. he preaches getting out of debt, and um, it's kind of a it kind of relieves people from their you know the 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 chains that are around them and um you know but the fact is i mean despite the reality that uh, american consumers collectively carry more than 11 trillion dollars in debt that's a huge number you can you can chip away at this um amount at a personal level you got to recognize the attitudes and the reasons why you're in debt in the first place and then you can free yourself from uh, the financially paralyzing debt that most you know households have so you, this is kind of a list and we're going to kind of go through an attitude and, and this is right up dave's alley so this is a this is a great article great yeah topic. really is yeah and getting rid of this kind of debt in a short period of time it may not be reasonable for everyone but if you get started now and you make some small changes that will make a world of difference um, and can save you thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. So here are the five things that are keeping Americans captive and far <clears throat> um, from the financial freedom that, um, you know, they can enjoy in their lives yeah. if they can fix these. Yeah, I mean, Dave talks about um, the, there's been a couple million people that have gone through his FPU class, Financial right. Peace University. He says on average it takes them 18 to 24 months to pay off all of their debt, not mortgage. But right. student loans, you consumer, know, consumer and things like that. So, you know, 18 to 24 months, some people are quicker, some people take longer, but that's an average. It's doable. I mean, and it's very, very doable. That's not an eternity, so you got to get started now. That's the key. And the first one they list here is student loan debt, mm-hmm. John. I mean, getting accepted to a prestigious school, you know, is always something that these college-bound students out there strive to accomplish. But paying for it, unfortunately, <clears throat> is a, a problem. And, uh, you know, while that may be an admirable goal, you have to make sure that it's worth it in the long run. So the Project on Student Debt is a research nonprofit um, organization. They report that the average senior from the class of 2012 graduated with about $29,000 in student loan debt. Wow. It's a big number. So there's a lot of baggage out there that that our kids are, are getting saddled with when they get out of school. And, you know, it may be too late to start your college career at a cheaper two-year um, community college to save on that, um, but you may be able to reduce the principal on your loan faster by doing one of the simple techniques that they mention here. Yeah, this is interesting. You know, if you're paying more than the minimum balance on your student loan every month, then, you know, you're off to the right start. That's a great step. The problem is that, that your good intentions may not be benefiting you in the way that you expect. And, and what we see is a lot of time lenders um, often over, uh, they apply the overpayments to the interest that you've accrued instead of using this excess payment to put down against the principal. So Yeah, and that's true with any loan. you got to make sure if you're paying extra that it's going toward to principal, principal not right. interest. You've got to communicate that to them. Yeah, so you need to write your lender if the, if you're not sure that's happening. And I do encourage paying extra. I mean, that's the way to get rid of it, right, is to free up some of your finances to pay extra on the loan, mm-hmm. but make sure it's going toward principal. So, yeah, so while you're watching Clemson stun Florida State Seminoles today, um, <laughs> write a letter to your lender to apply the monthly overpayments directly to your loan principal exclusively and not to interest. 
You can use your smartphone to draft that while you're watching us, you know, pull out all stops against the Seminoles today. Boy, you're so, confident, uh, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. They're grasping for straws here. All right. That leads up to break. But if you have a question, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706 739 0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the five things that are keeping Americans from financial freedom. Mm-hmm. John, you know, I mean, we talked about it. I mean, there's. There, there are so many things in your financial life that just keep you in chains and keep you from being able to pursue your dreams and really being free um, to, to live your life without having to worry yep. constantly about whether you're going to be able to make the next payments. And, um, you know, and, and the major part of that is debt, okay? And the average American has over $200,000 in debt from mortgages, credit card balances, and student loans. And that excludes auto loans. That's right, which, which is, is like another $20,000 yep, on average. Yep. Um, so, you know, the average American family is deeply in debt, and we have to get a grip on that. And the first one we talked about here is student loan debt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, average graduate in 2012 had over $29,000 in student loan debt. So you have to get on the path to paying that off aggressively when you get out of school. You can't just drag that out, you know, till you have kids and you have all the the, the financial li- uh, responsibilities. I should say not liabilities, responsibilities, yeah. Yeah. you know, that you're going to get later in life. You've got to get that paid off. So you need to get out of school when you're single or when you don't have kids. And you start hammering that. You need to start paying extra on the loan. Yeah, and a better step if if you're not already in college is is try to go to a local community college. Absolutely. Um, you know, try to get some scholarships. Um, you know, and and not have any debt coming out at all. So that's the, there are that, ways to go through college today without any debt. There is. There is. There's money out there. You know, you're going to get the Hope Scholarship mm-hmm. or the Life Scholarship, depending on what state you're yep. in. And go local. You know that that's going to help. If you go local, you're going to have very little to yeah. to try to cover outside of that. So. That, that's a great step if you're not already there with a lot of student debt. And if you are, then, like I said, pay extra. But make sure it's being applied toward principal and not interest, mm-hmm. yep. That's what they said here. Second one here on the list, John, is credit card debt. I mean, you know, no surprise. Um, credit cards can be a, a helpful tool, you know, for someone who uses them for points or for tracking their budget. Dave would disagree with that. Yeah, I know Dave okay. Ramsey would disagree, but I, I use them for that, and that's fine. But you know what? I mean, you have to be able to pay it off. As soon as you get to where you're not paying it off every month, then I, I think he's exactly right. You 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 got to get rid of the credit cards. Just mm-hmm. go to a debit card um, when that's the case. Um, you know, and they can limit your fraud risk. Um, you know, when you're paying for something, you get extra protection on some of your purchases. If there's fraud, you know, you're only liable for $50 of it. Most credit cards weigh that. So there are some benefits for using credit cards. That's undeniable. However, too often, people get carried away with purchases, and they end up costing themselves far more than the benefits they accrue. So you got to be realistic. And even shoppers who swear to paying off their balance each month in full, they forget how much they've accumulated on their entire billing cycle. And then at the end, they have this sticker shock at the end and not able to pay it off in full. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? 
Well, um, you know, if you know that you've made a few early Christmas purchases, for example, in your card, there are the big purchases out there. Rather than waiting till the end to pay off those purchases, how about go ahead, log on with your smartphone as soon as you get out of the store and make a payment. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to wait till the end of the month and let it accumulate. Yeah, that's right. So you can pay it immediately and still get your points. Yeah, that's a good one. Credit cards sneak up on you. There's studies that show that you can averages you spend 15 to 19% more using a credit card versus cash. That's true. So that's true. That you can get, get yourself. you got to be very careful with those. Number three here on the list is... It's trying to keep up with the Joneses. I mean, one of the, the latest gadget or maybe the newest model car, it's a trap. Uh, it seems harmless, but, um, you know, deeper behavioral concerns are at play when you're spending thousands of dollars a year just to keep up with the Joneses. So, you know, what you what you forget that is looming <clears throat> is that the average American has that, that $200,000. Um, so if you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, you know, you're, you're struggling to make ends meet and and save for your financial goals and you know they're they're likely not any more well off than you and um and the need to one-up each other is deepening the financial burden you're both going to face behind closed doors so don't try to compare yourself be happy with what you have and live within your means are you telling me to be happy with my iphone 4 rather than getting an iphone 6 yes i don't know john do not upgrade that iphone 6 was pretty that was pretty sexy does that work it does, but you know it doesn't have that chip in there where I can use it for my credit card. Yeah, you don't need that. And it's got such a small screen. I I don't know, man. No, you just yep. use glasses. <laughs> but on. none of my friends have one yet, so I'm not trying to keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> no, I haven't. I have been eyeing that though. I'm way out of contract on this one. So, uh, but you know, it's exactly right. You can't try to keep up with the Joneses. You, you have to be happy with what you have. And if you haven't already, I mean, open. Uh, a separate <clears throat> online savings account for your monthly discretionary expenses, um, a way to manage those expenses so you make sure they don't get out of control. Um, and then what you do is, you know, for discretionary things like eating out, clothes, vacations, only spend out of that account until it's gone. And when it's gone, you stop spending. Yeah, and another like way that. to do it, which Dave suggests, sure. is the envelope Almost, system. Yeah. yeah, that's very simple. Yeah, there's no that's no more foolproof way than that. You know, just put cash in an envelope. When you spend it, then you're done, you know, when it's gone. So that was number three. All right, number four on the list here is auto loan debt. Um, you know, another result of trying to keep up with the Joneses is running up this massive auto loan debt. I mean, as, as Dave Ramsey says, a lot of people are driving the retirement. Yeah, right? that's right. <laughs> and you have multiple cars, you can easily have $50,000 in auto loan debt if you're not careful. Um, you know, in the last quarter of 2013, average auto loan buyer borrowed about $27,000, according to Experian. Hmm. I mean, that's huge. And what's even worse than that is auto loan terms are getting longer and longer. I mean, some of them go as long now as six to eight years. Yeah, it just lowers the payment, but it, it's going to it stretches going to harm you. You're not paying it off, right? So you know, and they they calculate. Um, Edmonds calculates that the average twenty seven thousand dollar car would appreciate as much as sixteen thousand nine hundred dollars. About. Almost $17,000 in the first five years. You say de- depreciate? Depreciate. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't say that right. Depreciate. It yeah. goes down. goes down in value. That's $3,400 a year you're losing to depreciation alone, not including gas tires and insurance and maintenance. Um, you know, that's a huge expense. So, you know, what Dave Ramsey says is to buy a good used car instead and save those, you know, first few years of high depreciation. 
Also, how about get ahead and pay cash for your car? Ah, that's a novel idea. There's a novel idea. Yeah, I mean, and that's the key right there is getting ahead and paying cash. I mean, start by driving your existing car a few extra years beyond when it's paid off while you build up a car fund and pay that extra that, that car car payment into a car fund. Mm-hmm. And if you do that for three years, let's say $500 for three years, that gets you $18,000 at least, not including interest or return, um, that you can use toward a great used car after just three years. And then once you get ahead, then keep socking that $500 away. Do it another six years. You have $36,000 or more in a car fund. You could buy a good used car. Uh, you could buy a brand new car for that, probably. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, you know, and then never finance a car again. That's the key. Get ahead once, then never finance another car. Yeah, that's a great that's a great solution. And, you know, so many people don't don't do that. I mean, it's they don't. it's a great way. It takes discipline though, a little bit of knowledge, but it can work. I mean, we see people doing it out there all the time. So that's a great one. Uh, number five here on the list to close this out: confusing your needs. With your wants. And, Steve, this is so true. I mean, you think about 20 years ago, um, cell phones weren't around, right? Right. right. Today, they're um, they're a need. Everybody thinks there's a need. And and they're not. I'm sorry, they're not. Um, It's a way to communicate. Uh, The needs are much more basic than that. But, you know, the average American family has almost $100 a month cable bill. Uh, or satellite bill and $100 a month cell phone bill. I mean, that's that's low. I, when I do, you yeah. know, counseling, look we at people's We see them budgets, a lot higher for family. That's right. That's just, the av- that's just the average. Yeah, that's right. And they have several memberships, um, uh, and they're all under the category of needs. And this could not be uh, further from the truth. I mean, basic food, shelter, clothing, and transportation is all we really need. So wake up, smell the coffee, and, and face the truth on this one. This is hard. People don't like to hear this, but we all have our priorities and the things we, we really don't want to give up. But, you know, do we scrub the expenses that we spend routinely to make sure we aren't wasting money on low priorities that could be eliminated? I mean, that's a great, this is a great topic here. I mean, it is. It is. So, I mean, what you need to do, like you're implying here, is you need to take a hard look at every expense, determine if it's truly a need or a want, and, you know, if you're not sure that it's a high enough priority that it's worth sacrificing or, or delaying your retirement over, then delay or stop that expense for a month and then reconsider it in a month. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know what? I mean, if you do that, the chances are you're going to forget that you ever wanted whatever it was in the first place. A lot of the time yep. you find that it really you did really didn't need it. You know, so it, it, you have to have a discerning attitude about every expense if you want to be successful with your money and break the chains that are keeping you from achieving financial freedom. Yeah, and I would say check out Dave Ramsey's website, uh, DaveRamsey.com. This FPU class we're mentioning, Financial Peace University. Right. I mean, there have been millions of people that have gone through it. It's nine week course. It's a great way to um, to learn and hear some of these same topics that we're talking about here. But it's a great way to uh, get into some of the details. That's right. All right. Great topic. And that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. You can give us a call at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages and human news. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. 
And we are going to lead off our second segment here with the question of the week. Yeah, this question is, um, should I invest in my 401k or save for an emergency fund? And I mean, the answer is yes. Yes, both. <laughs> Generally speaking, <laughs> so. if, if you don't have an emergency fund, your 401k is going to turn into your emergency fund. That's right. Well, we don't ever see someone that doesn't have an emergency fund. Let's say you don't have an emergency fund. You're either going to have credit card debt or you're going to go have a, have a loan from a 401k. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Home equity loan, maybe. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, you, 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 nobody has the perfect budget, right? So yeah, you're going to have either debt or you're going to have an emergency fund. Yeah, one or the other. Yep. And so you got to have an emergency fund. That's first and foremost. But you also need to get your match in your 401k plan. Yeah, that's a huge, it's huge free money. Uh, yeah, you got to get started with that. So yeah. you need to do both. You need to just you know crank out your budget and. Keep massaging it till you know maybe a give up the cell phone and have a track phone or something yeah, right. I mean right. you know give up your home cell phone. You just got to keep cutting. Sell the car. Till you, till get, you get rid those, of the payment. Till you get that you got to downsize your house. Whatever it takes, you got to get to the point you can do both of those things. Yeah. I've seen houses turn into um, curses versus blessings because yeah. they're 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 stressful and yeah. um, those kind of things don't make you happy. Emergency funds actually make you very happy. They're boring. But it's they stay liberating. They, it is. It very, it very much is. So, yeah, good remo- question. Remove a lot of stress <clears throat> in your life. So that's a great question. All right, and that leads up to our next topic here, and that is high yield bonds, high risk and not so high reward. Yeah, this is from uh, Charles Schwab. Steve, you know we have. Um, yeah, we've been in a what three decade bull market for for bonds. I mean, interest rates have been dropping. It's been a remarkable, you know, lifetime almost of bonds um, dropping, dropping, dropping interest rates that given just outsized incredible yields based on you know relative to history. If you go back and start looking eighty years on bonds. Uh, you know, the history of bonds is not nearly what the last thirty years has been. Oh, it's it's incredible, and um, so that that has um, enticed people to go looking for yield in different places. And you know, some of the places they're looking for yield is is has risk in it. Um, right. Really, anything that you invest in has has some sort of risk. You want to make sure you understand that. And we're not trying to predict the cycle of interest rates or you know when the bond markets are going to do and so forth, but. But this this is a great article from from Swab, and you know with the downside risk um, high and the price gains likely to be low, um, Swab saying for investors to limit their exposure to high yield bonds. Now, a high yield bond is um, has a little bit um, lower credit rating, so it's a little riskier. So they're required to pay the investor a little bit higher rate, which is enticing. But you know, Steve, we saw back in two thousand and eight, the people that were in high yield bonds, they got hammered they did they did i mean it's uh, yeah i mean mean, there is a lot more risk in bonds than the average person perceives so you know as we've always said for your money that's in bonds you need to keep it very short and high quality yeah so here's some of the facts investors are putting money into these high yield bonds at almost five times the rate of 2013 but you know, with the yields, like we said, near at all-time lows, um, Swabs is saying they see little room for prices to rise and a lot of downside risk for these high-yield bonds. And so they're recommending for investors to diversify into sectors uh, to move up in quality. Um, obviously, it depends on what your risk tolerance is, but um, this could be a kind of a scary place to hang out. So, you know, as the year began, bond investors were looking forward to higher yields that would allow them to generate income of, you know, 3 to 4%. 
without take, taking much risk. After all, the, the outlook among most of the analysts and economists was that the growth would pick up and the Federal Reserve would not uh, keep rates near zero much longer. They were going to, at some point, raise them, right? Right. Well, <clears throat> this anticipated end to this, this uh, like we said, three-year decade bull market has failed to materialize so far in 2014. Don't know when it's going to happen. Markets are anticipating some you know, increase at some point. But you know, the economy remains sluggish, and the Fed's policies uh, may remain in place longer than expected. So, I mean, there's a lot of <clears throat> speculation that interest rates are going to rise, but there are a lot of folks out there, Steve, as we see, that are diving into high-yield Yeah, bonds. after a while, people get complacent, and they say, oh, it's never going to change. Right. You know, we've been we, – they've cried wolf – for years and years about bond interest rates and the risk in bonds and you know here we are still having a a relatively decent year and um so yeah with rates relatively low um on high quality and safe bonds people are hungry for higher returns higher yields have flocked to high yield bonds and over the 12 months um investors have pumped money into high yield uh, bonds According to the fund flow data tracked by Morningstar, and this trend has really doubled this year, twice as much mm-hmm. going into high yield bonds this year. So, you know, as we've always said, you don't want to take risk in bonds, John. You don't get paid for taking extra risk in bonds nearly as well as you do in stocks. Yeah. So if you're going to take extra risk, do it in stocks, not bonds. Yeah, that's right. That's you, that's you just stole the punchline. Oh, I'm sorry. We can move on to the next topic now. <laughs> that football game we were talking that about. That was supposed to be the end summary, Steve. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Give it's fill in the good. details. It's here. all good. You know, but you know, the yields on on um, high grade corporate bonds have inched up a little bit, but the the yields on the high yield bonds have not budged really at all. And um, there, there's two trends. There's deteriorating fundamentals from a corporate standpoint and, and narrowing spreads, which increase the uh, potential for these high-yield bond investments to fall in value. So the risk is increasing. It is. Right? R- risk is definitely going up on bonds. Um, you know, when you start looking at some of the things that have happened out there with yeah. bonds, I mean, um, it's just as interest rates stay down longer and longer and longer, there is more and more risk, I think, of bonds, uh, of yields going up. Yeah. And as the economy picks up steam, and corporations have a uh, have increased their cash balances, um, their cash holdings um, since the financial crisis started. Which is good. I mean, that's a... It's a good thing. It's a good thing. They have good big anyway. balance sheets, but they're hoarding that cash, John. They're not spending the cash. Yeah, no. That's the problem. Well, they're they're you financing know. their operations with debt. They are. Basically. They are Which because the interest rates are so low. Right. So they've been buying more and more debt. But you know, corporate America, um, you know, they just they're, they're hoarding that extra cash, not spending it. So it really hasn't helped the economy, and it hasn't. It hasn't made interest rates go up yet right. because, you know, it hasn't stimulated the economy. But that, that trend is going to change eventually. Yeah, that's right. You know, according to the Federal Reserve data, the amount of cash um, on on corporate balance sheets rose almost 30% to $1.5 trillion. It's at the end of the first quarter of 2014. That's up from $1.1 trillion at the end of 2007. So. Cash is definitely building, but the amount of corporate bonds outstanding increased even more during the same time period, about 77%. So what people are doing, the corporations are holding on to the cash, which is positive. They're funding their their operations and their their, uh, expansions with debt. 
And which, people are still buying them. That's people right. are buying corporate bonds, you know, just thinking, just kind of <clears throat> almost fat, dumb, and happy, putting their head in the sand, mm-hmm. not uh, just ignoring the fact that someday interest rates are going to go up and they're going to get hurt if they're out there holding some kind of long-term yeah. or, or high-yield bond. That's right. And we don't expect to see a sharp increase in the amount of defaults by uh, high-yield issuers in the near future, but, you know, the increase in, in the debt, it, it could be problematic. and. You know, the demand remains high. Another concern is is that the strong demand for high-yield bonds, some companies have been able to tap into the market um, despite having questionable balance sheets. And if, if investors weren't so eager to find this yield, um, they you know, they're thinking some of the issuers may not have been able to finance the new debt. So the strong demand has allowed issuers with the high-yield sector to offer weaker investor protections. New uh, new issue high yield bonds have increasingly become um, covenant light is what they're talking about. So there's just less protection. Um, it's starting to get riskier as we go through this process. You know, and another risk that people do not think about nowadays is called liquidity risk, mm-hmm. John. I mean, what happens is as more and more of these get out there, you know, there's more and more bonds in the market. The, the room's getting more and more crowded, and it has a small door, right? And so... When somebody pulls the fire alarm, what's yeah. going to happen? Yeah. Everybody's not going to be able to get out that door. That's called liquidity risk. It's the risk that you won't be able to sell it whenever you have, when you need to, without taking a huge loss. And we, we saw that in 2008, right? The total return of the U.S. Um, Barclays U.S. corporate high-yield bond index was down 26%. That's a huge amount. So what are people to do on this, Steve? I mean, it's it's confusing. No one knows the future. I mean, our approach is, is short-term, high-quality bonds. I mean, exactly. like we talked about, taking risk. We like bonds fine. We're not against bonds and, and risk, you know, but... Yeah, if you're going to, for the portion you have in fixed income, we would suggest you use high quality, short duration, short maturity bonds. Yeah. Don't go long. Don't try to go for that extra 1%, you know, in yield. If you're going to do that, take that, take some of that money and put it in stocks. Yeah. That's where you get paid for That's taking right. a risk. There you go. Yeah. Bottom line. Sorry to cut, take that. Yeah, midway through. <laughs> take That's the punchline. <laughs> no, it's a good topic. We get a lot of questions on it. So. We do. It's a great topic. All right, and that leads us up here to our uh, break. And when we come back from the break, we'll continue on. But uh, you're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. Give us a call if you have a question, and we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is the Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are um, starting off our last segment here with the question of prescription. the prescription of the week. Yep. It has to do with insurance. Um, we've talked about this. Uh, it's been a while, but something out there called an umbrella policy and it's uh, insurance to protect your um, assets, basically, and kind of goes over the top of, think about an umbrella going over the top of your, your home and auto insurance. So there's certain liabilities on home and auto. Uh, auto, you can get up to 300000 This million dollars covers above the 300000 So if you're in a wreck and you get sued, it's just another layer of protection. Right. Yeah. Protect you from, you know, just the unexpected liability lawsuit from, you know, we're in a, we live in a very litigious society. Yes. Right. And uh, there's your word for the day. Litigious. litigious. I like it. Litigious society. I mean, people will sue you at the drop of a dime. 
And um, so you you have to have some protection for that, you know, to protect your assets if you have something to protect. I yeah. mean, obviously, if you're just out of school and, you know, you don't really have much, it's then don't point. worry about it. Yeah, and it's really inexpensive. I mean, you can get an umbrella policy for two to $300 for a million-dollar policy. So it's a great way to just add another layer of protection. And I don't know. Mine just went up to, like, it's almost $500 a year now. It's time to uh, maybe reprice insurance. That might, was my next might prescription. Be. That might be. You know, as you're, so. as you're searching, I mean, if you do go and add an umbrella policy to it, sometimes the insurance company may want to stick it to you. And, um, but it depend, depends also on how many cars you have, how yes. many drivers, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, when you have a family and you got, Teenage, yep. you got four people, three people that are under age 25... Usually the right way to look at it is look at all your insurance cost and, and coverage, and that you have to do apple to apple if you go and compare it. Because some places will charge you more on umbrella but less on home, and it all right. balances out. So Right, right. Great you may, point. You may have a good good situation. Maybe. I'm sure you do. Maybe. Yeah, hope so. <laughs> I need to go price it, though. You're right. Yeah. That's the next prescription of the week. Go there you reprice go. your insurance. All right, and that leads us up here to our final topic, and that is an uh, article out of CNN Money. American middle class, poorer than you think. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how you're comparing it. But, uh, yeah, it's an interesting article, though, how they compare this. It is. They, they look at average net worth um, of the middle class and then also the median net worth. And average net worth is a little distorted, in my opinion. There's there's people yeah, with high obviously. net worth. Obviously. Um, we come in rank fourth. Out of uh, twenty, roughly twenty uh, developed countries, but that's because we have a lot of Bill Gates. Yeah, and, you know, we have Warren Buffett's the world kind of skew the average a little high, don't you think? I think so. The median net worth we come in nineteenth, which is probably more more accurate. Number one on the list for median net worth is um, Austria. Yeah, I think so. By, by France and uh, and Italy, and so quite a few European countries in here, obviously. But uh, you know. It's interesting. I mean, you know, rich Americans, that's that's really what the our global re- reputation is, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, Americans tend to think of the middle class as being the richest in the world. But, you know, it turns out in terms of wealth, they really rank fairly low among the major industrialized countries, according to this uh, study in the New York University uh, economics professor who did this. Um, you know, so why is there such a big difference? Well, Super rich Americans, they skew the average way high is really what it boils down to. The U.S. has 42% of the world's millionaires and 49% of those with more than $50 million in assets. So we have more than our share, I guess, of super rich people in the world. And that mm-hmm. kind of skews the average high. But that's, I will say this, though, this article implies otherwise, that's a good thing. You know, you want to have the super rich people in your country. Those are the people that pay the, the, the line share of the taxes and provide the kind of infrastructure and government and support that we need. You know, you don't you don't they don't think for a second that's a bad thing. Yeah. So they should be paying 90 percent in taxes, right? Well, they're they're already paying a lot. I mean, you know, because we we you know we we see those folks occasionally. Well, we and, see uh, that when you raise the tax rates to uh, such high levels, that they'll leave. They can leave, yeah, just absolutely. like our corporations are leaving. That's right. We're losing our corporations, so you know. But I mean, we you know, yeah, they're paying forty you know plus percent in federal and mm-hmm. plus state and plus payroll taxes and all those stuff and the sales taxes, the Obama taxes that came on. So you know, they're paying you know a good sixty percent mm-hmm. if you if you round it all up. 
That's that's probably close to the breaking point. I don't think you want to go any higher. Yeah, that's right. You know, um, one of the things you know it shows, Steve, is there is some wealth inequality. And like you said, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But there's one main reason why the average Span- Spaniard or Italian has more to his name than the typical American, and that's real estate. I mean, home ownership rates are higher in many European countries than in the U.S., giving Joe European more assets to his name than his American counterpart. Plus, it's easier for Americans to borrow money, which eats away at their net worth. Um, that's according to an economics professor, uh, Jim Davies. Um, and so, you know, real estate, that's kind of their main asset. And, and that's, that's, that's good. Right. And it's okay. Yeah, um, it's okay. It's not, to me, it's not a true measure of wealth because yeah. it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a liquid uh, income-producing asset. Yeah. You know, to me, the real measure of wealth is standard living. Mm-hmm. That's the real measure of wealth. I mean, who has... You know the st- highest standard of living, the the best living conditions in the world. And the uh, U.S. is US, right there at the top. U.S. is right there at the top, and that's the best measure. But yeah, I mean, you know, in Europe, I mean, they have they don't they build a lot of new houses. I mean, houses are passed down generation to generation, and so they have a lot of equity in their houses. And you know, and that's that's good. I mean, that's a good thing to to have you know equity in your house and and. But middle-class Americans were also hurt a lot by the housing collapse within the last decade. Mm-hmm. The median wealth of American families was 77000 just in 2010, and now it's a nearly 40% drop um, from 2007. Um, so that's a big drop. I mean, changes yeah. in home prices have a big effect on the wealth in the middle class, and middle-class Australians, by comparison, are leading the pack. The country's residents have the highest median net worth of about two hundred nineteen thousand, um, but they also have very low wealth inequality, which means they just simply don't have a lot of super rich people there. Yeah, and this is in part because Australians they have a, again have a strong tradition of home ownership. Um, through escalating prices, um, have made it tougher for young adults to secure the the Australian dream. Uh, those down under also have a mandatory re- uh, retirement savings program where they must squirrel away more than 9% of their income for their golden years, and uh, they can carry relatively low credit card uh, and student loan debt. So I I like that. I like the mandatory. I do, too, and I've always said, I thought, you know, not only should it be mandatory, I think you shouldn't be able to tap it as easily as we do here in the U.S. We do make it easy. People drain their retirement plan. That's not a good thing. You know, Americans, meanwhile, are having trouble building wealth because wages uh, have stagnated for more than a decade. True. Um, You know, it doesn't say it in here, but but access to uh, debt's easy. I mean, that's right. Credit cards all the time, which takes away from. It does. I mean, you you buy bigger houses. People have a lot bigger houses in the U.S. Mm -hmm. than they do other countries. And as a result, they have a lot of debt, and yeah. so that that does weigh down, you know, their wealth in America. So again, I think it's standard living, not that that's a good measure. Yeah, it, it also talks about the the median household income was about fifty one thousand in two thousand and twelve. That's compared to fifty six thousand in nineteen ninety nine. So that's that's interesting that the income has not risen with inflation. As a matter of fact, it's decreased over time. That is, yeah. I mean, there are many reasons why the American incomes are suffering, including the decline of you know, the unions in the 60s that really overpriced some things, and then the, the shift of jobs overseas and the increasing use of technology in the workplace um, are some of the things they list here. Also, Americans have to pay more out-of-pocket for basics such as health care and higher education, which reduces their, you know, some of their, their uh, assets, I guess. Um, but, you know, middle-class Americans... Um, 
uh, you know, they just have to take charge. That's really well, the bottom line. And you know what? <laughs> we we do a very poor job of educating um, our youth on finances, right? Dave Dave Ramsey has a great program. It's called Foundations, and it's taught in one local high school over at South Aiken. Uh, we actually sponsored that, um, so they're teaching yeah. kids over there about money. And if you think about it, if adults don't know about money, how are they going to teach their kids? They go off to college, and they get in That's student right. loan debt, and they get credit cards, and they don't have emergency funds, and spirals out of control. You have to take charge of your own financial future. That's the moral of the story. You know, don't worry about what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. Take charge of your future right now. And start saving 15% in a retirement plan. Right, I mean, pay off your house in fifteen years for good. Yep, be done with it. Don't refinance to a bigger house or stretch it out for thirty years. Pay it off fifteen years. Be done with it, and then start putting that money toward your retirement or or toward you know a building you know a future for yourself and your kids. Yeah, have an emergency fund. Do Roth IRAs. I mean, exactly. It doesn't have to be complicated to be successful. So if yep. you want some help, and we'll be more than happy to sit down with you and talk with you. Exactly. Exactly. And give us a call. If you uh, have questions or want help, um, but this has been this week's edition of Money MD with John and Steve. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. And as John mentioned, you can listen to our podcast at um, moneymd.podbean.com. And uh, email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. 